Speaking of reliability, a podcast with good friends talking with you about reliability engineering topics. Welcome to Speaking of Reliability. This is Fred Shankleberg. And uh, good morning. This is Greg Hutchins. Yep. And I, I, I know you, we took a quick break there and you got your tea. You're ready to go. Um, yeah. But the, the, I, I got a question. It was a couple of days ago and uh, through LinkedIn. And we had a short discussion back and forth on it. And one of the things that came up was, well, what do you do when they have a, a product that is regulated and it's a safety related thing? And the regulators is requiring the use of a parts count prediction, which is a table of failure rates for different kinds of components and assuming everything's exponential and you, you get a number. And, it, and if it meets a certain threshold, then you're fine. If it doesn't, you're not. You got to change something. And he said, and he knew my position on parts count predictions is like, well, that's not a useful way to estimate reliability of anything. Um, and he agreed, but he said, well, that's the reg and they're requiring us to do it in order for our system to meet the threshold of reliable enough, safe enough in, in the regulatory sphere that they're working in, they had to actually change their design and remove components and parts and parts of their system that were, you know, demonstrably more reliable, more safe, more better. To, to use good to use gooder English, I should say. Um, and he says, we're kind of caught in this dilemma. Of we we know from the the technology we're using, the systems we're using, the components we're using, that this is more reliable, and we have evidence for that. Yet the regulatory folks won't accept that. We have to use this other method, which requires us to change our design. And so they're kind of caught in this conundrum. And I'm like the regulator is probably at some level not intending to make systems less reliable and less safe yet their system in operation does. And okay. so I thought, you know, what, where are we, what's going on here? Why is this happening? You know? Okay. So as we've talked about context is worth 20 IQ points. So this is essentially probably happening in Europe because you mentioned a regulator, yeah. actually a conformity assessment body. And, uh, you know, I will not bring up names, but essentially they're a, a German uh, uh, conformity assessment body. Now, in Europe, they use something and called a conformity assessment. Two types of conformity assessment product, which is what you're talking about, and management system. Mm-hmm. So uh, from the European point of view, and by the way, the U.S. and the Europeans have a different approach to uh, reliability, different approach to conformity assessment. We are descriptive, meaning we have guidelines in the U.S., and the Europeans are much more prescriptive. You've got to do this. Well, as an example, let's see if I understand this correctly. It's one of the reasons I tend to really run, not shy away, run away from any, you know, consulting work that deals with regulatory stuff. Mm -hmm. Is so I, in the U.S., if you make an electronics box and 
one of the criteria is that in the U.S. is that it doesn't radiate emissions. It doesn't radiate certain frequencies and waveforms and stuff that it has the potential to interfere with other systems. Yep. It's not whether it does or not. It's just that here's our guideline saying if you hit this frequency or this waveform or this sound power of transmission, uh, that's radiated emissions and that product doesn't get certified. Whereas in Europe, it's does your product, knowing that there's radiated emissions out there, I think it's a jab at the U.S. saying we know you do this, um, that is your product able to withstand that environment? And, and I don't know if that hits on the prescriptive part or not, but it's, it's on the burden of the product to protect itself from some level of radiated emissions or higher or high, high amounts of it versus the U S is you got to not emit them. I don't think either one's appropriate or, or a good system yet. That's the total extent of my regulatory power. But I also hear what you're saying is that the prescriptive part would be, it needs to be three feet long and blue and then it's okay. Pretty much. So what you were describing was a CE mark type of approach. Remember, under conformity assessment, we have the product approach. And like an electronic product, if you go inside the, 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 the container or the packaging, you'll see a CE mark on the bottom. Yeah. For almost all. And there's, there's UL and CE and, and a handful of others. But yeah, there's a yeah. CE mark. Yeah. Even nuclear power plants has an AV, ASME mark. So, uh, you know, nuclear power plants are just simply a big, uh, what do you want to call it? Um, you know. Mass. Right. Well, there's, well, that's different. But yeah. But they have an ASME mark. Yeah. As, um, um, American Society of Mechanical Engineers for Pressure Vessels. So they got that mark there. So that's one way of doing conformity assessment. The second way is management systems. Think ISO 9001. Mm -hmm. So this is what happened in your case. Uh, there is a product requirement in Europe. A conformity assessment body, a third party, came to your client and said, what you're doing is unacceptable to us or doesn't meet the intent of the regulation. That's very important. Well, the intent of the regulation got convoluted into thou shalt do the calculation this way, which was, huh? Then if then and that's if you want to do it this way, it's that's what I'm saying. That's a prescriptive requirement yeah. in the European code. You've got to do it this way. So the client, you know, your client has an option. You either follow the prescription, meaning thou shalt do it, mm -hmm. or you get a waiver. And the waiver basically says it's either equal to or better than what were the what the requirement states yeah. and it's incumbent upon you manufacturer to show me the certification body that it is better that's your that's the wave part the you know right the, the waiver part and that's what i spent time talking to him about is here's how you put together the logic of saying yeah here's the evidence here's the logic here's the details why we think it's as good as or better um they one part of that conversation was we don't think our inspector will accept this because they don't understand, for example, Weibull distributions. They don't think that's real, that you can't get enough 
evidence to actually use that as an argument. And my counter is they're making you use a 25-year-old database of bad failure information and faulty assumptions, and they believe that instead. <laughs> but that wasn't going to go anywhere. So I was like, well, I don't know how to help you. <laughs> then basically you deliver your data, and then you go to the supervising, to the lead auditor, and you present that, and then yeah. you start escalating it to the management of the conformity assessment body. Yeah, yeah, this sounds like time-consuming. And my my final advice to him, and I they weren't a client, there was just a quick conversation. It's like, mm -hmm. yeah, you can go to the courts, and you can do all this other stuff for this, or you can uh, participate and change the regulations. <clears throat> you can change the regulations, or you could not go to the European market. Unfortunately, the mark that they're looking for is, is worldwide for their customer base is if they don't have that mark, that certification, then their product doesn't go anywhere. So, well, good luck. <laughs> was kind of why I left them, but it made me think why, why would a, a regulator, you know, I, I know of regulations and regulators that are out of date. They, they're like three steps behind in the evolution of the technology, for example, in some, some industries and in other industries that's, well, that's the way we do it. And they're not, they don't have the funding or the in interest to, to improve that. But here's one that was on safety. And you would think uh, safety organizations would use the best available information and best available techniques to make, to create the regulations. Yet at the core of it was this process that's patently unhelpful <laughs> and unreliable, unuseful to, to base any decision on. And that just irks me to no end is why, why are they doing that? What is the, what is the, it's prescriptive. They're picking something. If they were picking the lowest common denominator, they really did. They picked like a sub zero denominator. So you want another story? Sure. sure. So, uh, last week, uh, I gave a talk to the Europeans on AI risk because Europeans are really struggling, so is the U.S., on how are you going to regulate, monitor uh, artificial intelligence, especially generative. So I gave a talk. It was the kickoff meeting to Global Quality Week. You know, 500 people, somebody. Anyway, a lot of people signed up. I should have been in the U.K., but I didn't via virtual and we basically dealt with the same issue how are you going to regulate and become very prescriptive uh meaning risk prescriptive mm -hmm. using a technology where the inputs the process the black box and the outputs are unexplainable should i say that again well no i get, I get that it is, but okay. i I'm thinking of, is it Arthur C. Clarke and his robotic rules? Is, you know? As, Asimov. Asimov, yeah. okay. But the idea is, is that it, what's the objective? What are you trying to do? And prescriptive is, is it, when, in my mind, the regulatory and standards and all these other bodies mm -hmm. create a prescriptive um, requirement or guidelines or whatever it is, usually based on a particular technology or a particular type of technology. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And as soon as that evolves, it's out of date. It doesn't apply anymore. It, it doesn't make any sense. And I think AI is evolving so fast that they're ludicrous if they're 
if they don't move to the point of, well, what is the intent? Is it to use this particular, you know, here's a way to check for bias, all right? Well, now you got one test. Well, what if the system is like two steps above that in technology and that bias test is mute, doesn't apply? That's where I run into issues with the regulatory bodies. They're 10 years and $2 too short, too late. Well, I'll give you an example. Um, this is a real one, unfortunately. So the AIA, um, Artificial Intelligence Act out of the U EU, uh, expressly prohibited facial recognition. So they've got, you know, basically the lens to evaluate all AI globally is through the risk lens. Good grief. I just use facial recognition to sign into my social security account to check on what my future benefits were. And part of the sign-in process was get up close to your screen so your camera can get a good picture of you. And then they sent back saying, yep, we know who you are. Okay, you're good. I, so that's banned in Europe. I can't, Europe, I, I can't do that anymore. They came up with a regulation, flat, they denied the the technology of facial recognition with a caveat and the caveat was public safety or homeland security so uh they've been discussing this for three years they you know they came up with a law but because they're a democracy or whatever they are over there they've been talking about it in the meantime the public sector like you said has basically been using it they've been using it for having people get on airplanes. Yeah. Um, the biometric stuff's all over the um, uh, customs, That's you know, exactly border control right. type stuff. Absolutely right. So what's happening is that the technology and the commercial use is basically probably three years ahead of the legislation. In the meantime, you know, I mean, I, I can attest because we've been developing AI type of products for a year. And we have to basically redo everything we've been doing for the past year. Why? Yeah. The technology, meaning chatbots. Are just evolving like crazy. Now, one of the issues I've run into with the regulatory bodies, and especially when it comes to safety as well, AI, facial recognition can be used, you know, for control. You can, you know, who's where, and you can exert pressure on people, individuals or their families or their businesses because you know who's doing what, when, and where. It, it strips away privacy and, and used maliciously to, in, in one scenario or one aspect of it, used to con control or manipulate to, for some other purpose, as opposed to making sure you are you when you get on an airplane, for example. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you can make the saying argument is that we're putting all these satellites in space with using rocket technology. It was really intended to deliver warheads <laughs> initially. It, it's, a, it's not the rocket's fault, what's the payload. It's what we choose to do with it. So banning all rockets because we don't want to have, you know, warheads falling on us is kind of missing then, well, we can't put satellites in space to predict the weather for example, so or have communication systems that we have and all those kinds of benefits that come from that pretty much the exact same technology. So the issue is, is that, well, if you can only certify that you're safe by using this arcane system 
And that then creates, you know, yeah, there's a waiver system and so on. Yet you're really kind of saying, no, you can't do that. And now I didn't know they were just saying, nope, you can't do facial recognition. It's like, hmm. Well, there goes the, uh, you know, bunch of private companies going, well, if you walk into the store, we know who you are and you're already set up in our paying system. So you can pick up whatever you want and walk out the store and you can save a whole bunch of time. And, but that's not possible. That's done. Companies are doing that right now. Oh, I know that. That's what I'm bringing it up. But apparently you can't use that style of technology <laughs> in Europe. Now you have to give them a ring and they can swipe their ring and now you know who they are. <laughs> you know? Well, let's run a hypothetical. Um, it's not a hypothetical. It's very real. Uh, we just gave a talk. Oh, my daughter and I, Margot, on this very topic in Nashville a couple weeks ago. Well attended, highest rated talk, blah, blah, blah. And what's happening is people are coming up to us now saying they're putting these cameras in, in public places. Basically, in this case, it was probably the Department of Public Safety in, you know, they're the state, uh, what do you want to call it, state police in Texas. But they're putting software that is basically going to be able to recognize people almost uh, instantly. Mm-hmm. And by the way, even though you might be wearing a hijab or a mask or something else, all you need are a couple nodes. The systems are becoming that accurate. So you're right. These systems are basically used to control behavior, people's behavior. Yeah. It, well, there's. it's funny. It's The U.S. is way behind on this. I mean, I remember when I lived in Germany, uh-huh. um, they, would, they would regularly uh, have a, a – camera and a, and a, um, public spot. No, no, no. And, um, for traffic, it was a, they would have a, a radar, you know, detect your speed. And then if you're going too fast to take your picture, they'd mail you the bill in the, in the mail or, uh-huh. or they, you know, and I, there's some places in the U S that are doing that now, but it's pretty rare there. It was very common. And there was no sign. There was no warning. It was sometimes these cameras are in a parked car and you go over the hill and they pull you over and says, we have you on camera going too fast. So <laughs> pull over here, pay us our fee. And I mean, they would pull over like every third car is because that many people were speeding in this one particular section. And after a while, you get to learn where the speed traps were and what to look for. But most of the time you had no idea until you're guilty. You know, and you, know, you pay the fee and and drive better kind of thing. But that was just accepted practice in Europe of that. When I got back to the States, I think it was in Oklahoma, and I was talking to somebody locally about it and I go, oh, no, we can't do that. That's not legal. You have to, you know, we have to chase you down and, you know, you can only pull over one car at a time and blah, blah, blah. And I said, meanwhile, everybody else is speeding past you. <laughs> you know, in some conditions, you know, if, if it makes people, uh, it encourages people to follow the traffic rules, which to me is a safety issue, especially after driving in Germany, we're driving the folks for all kinds of reasons, not just because they had speed cameras around, it was that, which most of them didn't obey anyway, is that they were very, very safe drivers. They knew what they were doing and, and they followed the rules. If you came to a four-way stop and it was, you know, who had the right of way, 
There's no doubt. It was right to the rule, to the letter of the law, what the right of way was. In the States, you got four people there that were all waving at each other, trying to figure out who's foolish enough to go first because the other person's going to think it's their turn. And <laughs> You're wrong. They're flipping each other off. Well, there's that too. <laughs> but it's it's one of those things where, you know, behave, modifying behavior is not a bad thing in some circumstance, some areas. But if, if it controls where do I go shop, well, then I – and it's not marketing. It's just – you know, manipulation. Well, that's marketing, I guess. Probably not a good example. It is marketing. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's, uh, I mean, we had in my neighborhood, we have a, uh, our mailboxes are kind of grouped together in different parts of the neighborhood because our roads are so weird. And the poor, whoever's trying to make deliveries up here is really in for a nightmare. But there might be 10, 15 mailboxes there. And every couple of months, somebody drives through and opens up all the mailboxes and takes everything. Right? So one of my neighbors tacked a sign up at smile, you're on camera kind of thing. And I don't know whether they are or not, but he had the sign, he stuck it up there. And not that it stopped anything. It's still, somebody still drives through and pulls everything out of the mailbox. And it's one of those things that, yeah, putting a the camera there, you know, didn't stop it you know, parking a squad car right there and having them watch the people taking mail in and out and checking their ideas. Is that warranted? Is that useful or needed? Yeah, there's technology to do all kinds of stuff to protect mail theft, yet what's the right cost-benefit, convenience, acceptance, you know? And that goes for regulations on safety systems for pressure vessels, for example. What's the right trade-off and balance? And that's not a question I'm going to answer in this discussion, but it's one of those things that, yeah, some regulate, in my mind, some regulations are out of date and you got to do the waiver. You got to challenge it. And others are, that's the cost of doing business. And it's, you got to just deal with it. Can we get back to your query? Sure. So somebody asks you, should we uh, basically comply with a requirement? and have a lesser quality product, or should we get a waiver and demonstrate to the conformity assessment body that this method that we're using is a higher quality? Yeah. As a consultant, what I would recommend is work with the client or you know the whoever your whoever had the query to help them understand their decision making options. Yeah. Yeah. Is this, yeah. What are the options? What are the, what's, exactly. what's in service to your customer, to your stakeholders, to your society? And what span do you need to consider in making that decision, whether to accept it or to challenge it? I agree with that. Yeah. And basically, what's the threshold for reasonableness that you can demonstrate compliance that your system, your process, your product is equal to or better than what's stated in the requirement. Yeah. Yeah. Now, and there you, <laughs> yeah, you got to have your act together. You got to do your homework. There's no doubt about it, but it's the, they acquiesce to, to redesign their product to less uh, reliable on purpose to meet that regulatory thing and move on to, I don't, I didn't get into why they made that decision, but that's what they did. So anyway, if if you're facing a dilemma like this or or like me really don't 
care to understand regulations, although we really do need to as part of doing business around the world, um, you know, let us know what kind of issues you run into and dilemmas you run into and how fast is this technology outstripping our ability to say, is this useful or not useful? And what are the guardrails? I think that's a bigger question. So, you know, we're running into all this kind of stuff on a day-to-day basis. So where do you stand on it? What kind of comments or questions you got on it? We'd love to hear from you. Head over to ascendoreliability.com slash go slash SOR. You can find a couple of ways to get in touch with us there. Greg and I and the other hosts of the show are available through LinkedIn and our about pages on Ascendo. So plenty of ways for you to get in touch. And please do. We really, um, even if you create a chat GPT query for us, we could, you know, probably suss out something useful to talk about. (laughs) And you can help us design a a swarm of chat GPTs. So yeah, I, I, I echo what uh, Fred says. Reach out. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Look forward to hearing from you. I'll take care now. Talk to you later, Greg. Have a good one. All righty, buddy. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Speaking of Reliability. We invite you to join the conversation if you have a question or a topic that you think we should discuss in a future show, please let us know. You can find a comment box below the episode show notes or just leave a note as part of a review on iTunes.